Public CEO Report is a podcast that provides insights about the public sector and public policy for the benefit of decision makers and leaders powering our communities. I'm your host, writer Todd Smith, and today we're joined by Gerbax Sahota, President and CEO of the California Association of Local Economic Development, otherwise known as CalEd. Gerbax also holds senior positions with the California Academy for Economic Development and the California Enterprise Development Authority. Uh, finally, she also serves as the California, she serves on the California Office of the Small Business Advocate, California Entrepreneurship and Economic Mobility Task Force. That is a whole lot of titles and organizations, Gerbax. Welcome to the Public CEO Report. Thanks for having me, Ryder. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Uh, so let's talk real quick about some of these long, jargony names that we just talked about. First, first one up is Caled. What is Caled all about? So Caled is the State Professional Economic Development Association. We represent over 800 economic developers, and that consists of about nearly 300 jurisdictions, cities and counties, as well as nonprofits that engage in economic development, private sector entities that engage in economic development, and host of state and federal entities as well, but all focused on helping businesses improve and also create economic opportunity for California residents. And all right, so I want to jump back to that because you use that term economic development a ton. It's built into the very name of the organization. I want to understand what economic development really means and why it exists. But before we get into that, what is the California Academy for Economic Development? So that's our foundation. And we do a lot of training through there, including our California accredited economic development certification program that we offer in partnership with CalEd and in partnership with Fresno State University. All right. So if I'm a local economic development officer or economic development director for a city, I can go get this certification? Yes, you can. All right. Do you have any sense of how many of those there are in the world at this point? Well, we launched the program pre-pandemic, which was exciting. And so it was great to see that we actually had quite a few people go through the training. And on the website, it lists the current ACEs. So that's Accredited California Economic Developer. You're at the acronym you get the end of your name is ACE. And you can see the list. I think we have probably 30 at this point with more going through the process. All right, so slowly building every year, very good. Uh, and then next up is the California Enterprise Development Authority. What is what is CETA? CETA is a joint powers authority and it was created by three jurisdictions, the cities of Lancaster, Eureka, as, as well as Selma. And the three cities came together to help us put together a program that would support conduit bond issuance. So small conduit bond issuance in particular, like industrial development bonds to help California's manufacturers. When we created this JPA, it was for the purpose of helping manufacturers expand and stay in California, but also looking for ways to give back using the issuance fees to support CalEd through scholarships and other ways that we could help cities, counties, as well as nonprofits for their economic development in California. Okay, excellent. And then last but not least, so California has an Office of Small Business Advocate, and that has a task force currently involving entrepreneurship and economic mobility. So tell me about that task force too. So that task force is really exciting. In fact, um, this iteration of the task force just started meeting. And the purpose is to create pathways for entrepreneurship for underserved populations, to see that as a way of improving your economic health and creating opportunity for folks that might not have or see other ways of advancing their um, their 
advancing their lot in life. Okay. Yeah. So uh, all of this is focused around economic development. What yes. does economic development mean to Khaled? What's the definition? So economic development is the creation of wealth through which community benefits are realized. It's a really broad definition, and I'm gonna say it really slowly again. It's the creation of wealth through which community benefits are realized. Now, there's a lot of myths about what economic development is, that it's pro-business, that it's only about creating jobs, it's only about business attraction, but the reality is from a public sector perspective, economic development is creating incentives in a place where your businesses that can thrive and when you're thinking about businesses, they're businesses that align with the values of your community. And as these businesses thrive, they create economic opportunity for your residents. And through that process, it increases the wealth, not only of the community, but also the jurisdiction itself, as you see more tax revenue coming into cities, counties, and the state. But the purpose of the creation of the wealth for the public sector is really so that you can pay for more community services so you can and continue to enhance the quality of life for your residents. So it should be a circle that creates economic opportunity for your residents, but also increases revenue for your jurisdiction so that you can then provide better services for your folks. What have they like? What does that economic development look like that's worked out well? Or what are some interesting examples of that? Just so people, especially lay people who aren't familiar with the local government world, so they understand where they actually see economic development show up. You know, if the Sprouts Market sh shows up down the street in the yeah. local strip mall, uh, was that economic development or was that just the market responding to a need to deliver groceries to a particular neighborhood? It could be both. If you have a food desert, it could be that the city took a, or the county took a specific action to make it easier for that store to get there. Or it could just be, look, we've got plenty of grocery stores, but there's a market there. And so Sprouts decided to move in. You know, I think where communities have really gotten it right as it relates to economic development is where they understand that they need to know their competitive advantages and disadvantages and what works in their community. So what could be right in your neighboring city or county might not be right for you. So where we see economic development at its best is when the jurisdiction has clearly identified what the need is. Like they know where they wanna be in five or 10 years. And they know, look, we have a food desert, for example. We don't have grocery stores here. We need to address that. Or look, we have a population that has this skill set and they're driving out of our jurisdiction for jobs in other areas, we should try to attract businesses here by saying that we have the skilled labor force so that our folks don't have to commute and that they can be closer to home. So when economic development works, it's specific to the community. It takes into account what the residents want and what you want for your future and your values and what that vision looks like. And it also is strategic. It's not just, a, oh, look, Amazon is looking for incentives. We want to compete. It takes that knowledge and says, does this align with the work that we've done and what our, what our members in the jurisdiction want? So strategic and specific are key. Yeah, I think partly what I'm hearing there is not only can, not from the perspective of Khaled and community, certainly not all economic development is equal, right? So mm -hmm. uh, uh, citing a large, uh, manufacturing plant uh, might be exciting for one community and not particularly exciting for another and each one has their their um, strategies for how they want to develop that i you know i i can't help but think of 
examples that exist in LA County where there are certain cities that I would identify as very pro-manufacturing or distribution warehouses or things like that. And frankly, they have smaller populations and much larger economic uh, activity. And then there are other communities that are like, you know what, I'm quite happy being a bedroom community and having some strip malls and some sales tax revenue. I don't need uh, I don't need an Amazon warehouse in our community. Uh, and so, you know, you end up particularly with densely packed counties like LA, this tapestry of cities that have some have focused, they each have their different nuances for how they're focusing their economic development, what they're encouraging. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, especially if you've done that work to identify where your advantages are, and we call them disadvantages, but oftentimes even disadvantages could be opportunities, right? And you have to figure out how do you address those and what can you do to improve the quality of life for your residents? But you're right, it's really specific to what's happening in your jurisdiction. Uh, California has a reputation for being a difficult place to do business. Uh, I certainly, as a business owner myself, I've seen some of those challenges in the labor markets and labor rules and things like that. Uh, but I, I guess broadly speaking, what when we think about local agencies, we'll we'll get to the state of California in a second as a broader discussion point and kind of interstate um, uh, competition. But within within California, for the counties and cities in California, where where have they struggled with economic development or what are the, what are the struggles or challenges that they face or aren't getting that are something that they should give thought to as they try to build futures for their communities? Yeah. So there's a generic one. Um, although jurisdictions have invested in economic development quite a bit over the last 20 years, we've seen it even during the pandemic as well with all the shutdowns. What we also see is jurisdictions that don't have the capacity to invest in economic development. And it's not because they don't want to. And I hesitate to say that they don't have it right, because sometimes you're making a decision between do I hire a housing manager or do I hire an economic developer? But there's a lot of jurisdictions in the state that don't have the support of an economic developer or professional economic developer that has so many years of experience or someone that's gone through training. I think that's still a challenge for a lot of jurisdictions. And just like you see in other places in the workforce, we are seeing a lot of turnover. We're seeing folks retire. We're seeing a lot of opportunity for people to enter into the economic development workforce just because there's more positions. And I think this in and of itself is creating a challenge for local agencies as they figure out how to get these folks trained, making sure they have consistent messaging on what economic development is so that they can then manage the public's expectations, but also um, make a difference in terms of you know, impacting their economic development programs. That's really broad in general, but there's always specific cases where you get a jurisdiction that's like, oh, my, my neighboring community has this business, we wanna get that business too. And the market might not show that that business would thrive, but there's an unrealistic expectation put on the economic development staff to then go recruit that business. I know when I started, it seemed like, every and this is dating myself, when I started, it seemed like, Everybody wanted a Nordstrom. I mean, we still joke, and it's not really a joke. It is an issue that, you know, maybe every community wants a Trader Joe's. I think there was a story where somebody had said, well, if, you know, they, the community had written enough letters that the Trader Joe's finally showed up there and said, yes, it makes sense. It looks like we have the community support. That is so rare. Businesses are smart. They are looking at where they're gonna thrive. They're looking at market data. They're looking at the, the business case for being there, but sometimes that gets lost in the conversation because somebody really wants an in and out, or maybe somebody really wants a Walmart in their community. 
Um, that's a challenge. And that's a challenge, I think, that's consistent and has been around for many years. Yeah, agreed. I also sometimes my having worked in cities um, where they lose a grocery store, for example, like there's a misperception uh, for some in the public that this it was the city's fault the grocery store left or it's the city's fault the grocery store hasn't opened. Yeah. Um, you know, and the quick answer is, well, there's a market mechanism at place that is deciding which entities are interested in looking at operating a grocery store inside your jurisdiction. Uh, and there could be various economic factors that are making that difficult to do. Now, it is entirely possible there's a local policy that's making it cost prohibitive to make it a viable option, in which case that sounds like a great opportunity to have a heartfelt strategic conversation about economic development. But fundamentally, it could just be Trader Joe's doesn't find this to be an attractive market. There's one five miles away. It's too close and it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, it is funny you say Trader Joe's. I will tell you that's my like my wife's number one criteria whenever we were real estate hunting is where's the Trader Joe's? If there's not a Trader Joe's within a reasonable driving distance, this ain't going to happen. It's yeah, it's very popular. It still comes up. Actually, that's probably been the one that's come up the most over the last 10 years. But I remember Nordstrom. It really sticks with me. But yes, Trader Joe's. Yeah, well, Nordstrom's would be particularly for cities as a sales tax revenue generator is, is hot, too. Uh, so I could empathize with that as well. And okay. I can also attest the fact that uh, I'm sure there's plenty of Smith family money that's made it into Nordstrom's over the years. <laughs> so uh, any other kind of, I guess, you know, 19 years in this space of watching this evolution. Uh, well, let's talk. Actually, let's talk about that a second. You you had noted that the Davis administration had um, eliminated it was the commerce and trade. I can believe it was trade and commerce. Trade and commerce, excuse yeah. me. Uh, this, uh, why did that happen, and kind of what was the after effect of that? And partly, I asked this question. I'll, I'll put some more context on this too. I had this recollection um, in the maybe it was the 2000 recession, if not the 2008 recession, <laughs> that uh, there was a lot of focus on this red tape uh, brigade. Uh, up in the state of California that was there to try try to retain big enterprises like a Hewlett Packard or other entities to stay in California and help them cut through the red tape in the state of California, uh, which I viewed as a broad economic development effort that was kind of mm -hmm. reactive to the market as opposed to proactive to the market. So having said that, um, what like what else what what's been this trend in California in terms of uh, being a business-friendly state or where they've treated economic development as a state strategic value as opposed to asking cities to step up and handle it. Yeah, well, when we look at the state level, you know, I was still an intern when that was eliminated, when trade and commerce was eliminated, but I do remember the conversation and what, what seems to be an ongoing issue for economic development where the only metric is jobs, right? How many jobs have you created? The challenge with that is there are so many support entities that work with a business these days to help it thrive. It's very difficult to say that your work and only your work created a job. And jobs are a byproduct of economic development. They're not the key and only goal of economic development. So when we see entities and individuals, and you see this a lot in the elected uh, official space or politician space, where it's like, I'm running on a jobs agenda. Well, that's great. But understanding that, look, it's the private sector usually that's creating the jobs that you're talking about. Not always. I mean, government nonprofit hire as well. In Sacramento, government nonprofit are probably some of the largest employers. But, you know, you create policies that allow businesses to thrive. 
And when they're doing well, they hire people. They don't go into business necessarily to hire as many people as they can. They go into business because they want to be profitable. And if that means hiring more folks, that's what they'll do. So jobs as a metric has been an issue. And it was one of the issues specific to why trade and commerce, I think, was eliminated. Plus, we had a lot of budget issues at the state at that point in time. So there's that piece of it. And then there's a fight to to create another office at the state level. And part of the challenge with that was, you know, you had the leftover perception of what happened with trade and commerce, why it was gone. But you also have this myth that economic development is just about, I've heard people call it smokestack chasing or, you know, incentives or only looking at business attraction. But if you're doing economic development in California and your boots on the ground, you know that economic development is about business retention and expansion. It's about business growth. The one thing that we do really well is create businesses. So that's not easy to necessarily turn into a big marketing point and to measure. So it did take a while to get that state role back even um, as GOED, the Governor's Office of Economic Development. The red tape piece is important, but it's not just at the state level, it's at the local level. You know, how do we streamline our permitting in a way that still makes sense, but is it a reasonable time where we can say to a business or an entity or a developer, look, this is where you're at in the process. You see a lot of jurisdictions now have online where you can follow where your permit is in the process and their process, or they have ways of making it faster for everybody so that it's really a clear process. Um, I do think what we've seen under the pandemic has been like an explosive growth at the state level in terms of the state's engagement in economic development. Governor Newsom has made some really significant investments. When you look at the SURF program, the small business relief grants, which I believe was over $2 billion that went out to struggling businesses during the pandemic. So we've seen a lot of investment. What'll be interesting moving forward is, you know, as the budget tightens, what does that office look like? What does that role look like? Does it become more narrowly focused on specific strategic places where the state can make a difference? Or does it stay in its current form where they've got a lot of programs that they're managing, several that are funding programs, will they be able to implement them effectively if it turns out for whatever reason, they can't necessarily have the team or the budget to support that work. So um, it changes drastically based on what's happening in the environment, but interesting to see what's gonna happen moving forward. Yeah, well, so as we're recording this, it's mid-December 2022. Uh, my recollection, having just spoken with another friend of mine that's active up in Sacramento, is that the governor's budget is perhaps pulled together at this point, but will be published in January, if I recall correctly. And this is in the scheme of Sacramento policy is the first kind of salvo in the new budget for next fiscal year. Uh, I suspect then by in January, mid-January, we should have some insights into what the governor's priorities are when it comes to economic development. Yes. We're looking forward to seeing it. We'll do our analysis as soon as it's public. But yeah, we're it'll be interesting because this is different than what the position he's been in the last couple of years. In terms of staring down a potential budget deficit in this coming fiscal year. Correct. Yeah. Uh, you, in the course of your um, response to my prior question, you'd made reference to the SURF program. What, what is SURF? Can you explain that? It's the Community Economic Resilience Fund. Uh, it might be Resiliency Fund, the Community Economic Resilience Fund. And it's, 600, it's a $600 million investment. Part of it is regional planning where they have, they have 
carved up the state into 13 regions. And what they've done is give each region $5 million to create a strategic economic development plan that's inclusive and it's being led by um, neutral conveners. So that process it has just started. They just awarded, I think, 11 of the 13 regions have been announced at this point. And also during that process, you know, as you're going through the planning, that that planning money equates to about $65 million. Then you're looking at the remaining $500 million or so for projects. And ideally, you want to fund projects or the state wants to fund projects that align with those strategic plans that are created at the regional level. So it's a significant pot of funds for projects. But significant is defined, I think, based on what jurisdiction you're in, like in Los Angeles, a $500 million pot for the entire state might not seem as impactful as if you're in Humboldt County and you see a $500 million pot that you can apply for. But it is a significant investment from the state. So what should finance directors or excuse me, economic development directors, or maybe finance directors and city managers know about the SURF program or how like if their finance, if their economic development directors involved with CalEd, do they know more about what's going on with this? Is this something you guys are helping to track on and report back and keep local agencies apprised of? We are tracking it. We're providing public comment, and we've been very careful because, as you know, as I said earlier, economic development's got to be specific to your region. So at at a state level entity, we necessarily don't want to be in the weeds of how you're putting your strategic plans together, who's at the table, what you value. I mean, that comes from the bottom up. But at the state level, when we're given an opportunity to provide input, then we do, especially if it makes sure that economic developers have a voice at the table. What's been interesting with the SURF program in particular is that it's being run by regional groups that are, I think, primarily nonprofits. There might be one or two where it's an education um, arm. But interesting about this is that you've got folks that may or may not have depth of experience in economic development, but they are neutral conveners. And their intent should be to bring everybody in. So for jurisdictions, as well as for this neutral convener, there's a benefit in making sure that you have economic developers from the city and counties at these tables. Because if nothing else, you can say we've done this strategic plan. You can say this is the data that we have. Now, these regional tables are going to use their own data sets. They're going to have a lot of voices at the table. But my my original fear was if you create these regional groups and you don't have the jurisdictions at the table, there's going to be a big disconnect between the economic development activity that happens boots on the ground in the cities and counties versus what these regional groups have decided are key um, important projects that happen regionally. So it's important for both of those entities that the cities and counties be engaged it is really difficult, though, if you only have one economic developer or maybe you have an economic developer that's wearing five other hats to carve out the time to participate in these roundtables. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this moves forward. But it, I do think it's a benefit to the jurisdictions to be at the table. And hopefully, you know, the conveners see that it's absolutely necessary to have the jurisdictions at the table as well. So if there's a city or county staff people listening to this podcast right now and they aren't familiar with the surf term or the concept of what's going on, they would be well advised to look it up, figure out who their regional convener is and figure out if and how they can get involved in that process, it sounds like. Yes, and I believe they're all listed on the Department of Labor's website, so you should be able to find them um, that way. Okay. Uh, so surf is obviously there's a big big chunk of money that's being focused on that, and that's a big mm-hmm. 
big uh, state-driven policy, mm-hmm. uh, which which I guess speaks to a broader question. That's one that's naturally going to come up in any discussion about economic development, which is kind of California versus the world, or maybe I'll be a little more specific and just say California versus the other 49 states in America and economic development environment for that. Uh, I have the opportunity to serve on the board of a of a institute at, out of Claremont McKenna College. Mm-hmm. Um, our executive director has done a lot of work comparing Texas and California, for example. And of course, um, Texas has been a, a big economic driver and has been a high growth uh, economy, um, not as big as California, certainly. Uh, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, there's there's a lot of kind of intrigue, I think, at a, to put it kindly, between the economic uh, efforts and development efforts of California versus Texas. I was just curious if you had any kind of national observations on Texas versus California or, uh, um, you know, any states versus California and, and how California is trying to stack up and compete against other states in America for economic development. Sure. So first, let me just say I love California. I think we're an amazing state and we represent a lot of opportunity because of the market and also just because of the talent we have here, the labor pool and just the size of our population. So that aside, um, during the pandemic in particular, every quarter, a lot of our the state association heads such as myself from across the country mo- uh, meet regularly about what's happening in your state and how are you moving economic development forward. And so you have Texas, New York, Florida, Ohio, um, Arizona, Washington. I think on our last call, we had probably about 20 or 30 states so we talk about economic development, some of our challenges and opportunities. And I'll say the view from the practitioner perspective is different than the narrative that you're hearing in the news. I, I think we, as a profession, economic developers are challenged with one, the, the issue about incentives, right? People, businesses love incentives, local elected officials for the most part seem to really like incentives as a way as attracting of attracting businesses. But then there's this, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we had, from a practitioner perspective, a level playing field? So we weren't necessarily just throwing money at projects. We were making sure that they really fit our community and that the business had a chance to thrive without significant assistance. Because if the only reason they're coming to you for is for money, does that mean if somebody offers them money, they're going to leave? So that's just... Um, that's been an ongoing issue for economic development the entire time that I've known, and it's still something that's talked about regularly. In fact, California's Cal Competes program, the tax incentive at the state level, um, currently also has a grant component to it. But that program, when it was first initiated, because of the way that the rules were written and the ability to do clawbacks if a business doesn't deliver on what it says it's going to deliver, was really looked to as a best practice model on incentives. Um, That said, each state, because economic development is specific, does what's best for them. I think California is competitive. I do think we get a bad rep, but we don't necessarily help ourselves with some of the things that we do. And I'll leave it there unless you (laughs) want to delve deeper into it. Stay tuned. Uh, come to the next CalEd conference and hear Fairfax tell you her her deep thoughts on uh, some of those challenges and issues. Uh, so let's talk about 2023. We're on the cusp of a new year. What's what's where are you headed with CalEd in the new year? It sounds like these surf programs are going to be running around doing their thing. I'm going to guess you're going to have some sort of annual conference gathering. What's what's the plan? What's the plan for CalEd in 2023? There's a huge plan. 
for Calad in 2023. In fact, we've started implementing some of that already. Um, one, I think that a big issue for economic development in California, it has been an issue and it's gonna continue to be is land use, right? Will communities have the ability to put sites together to increase or expand economic development opportunities? That's a challenge. There has been a really strong narrative about you either have affordable housing or market or housing, or you have economic development. You have to pick between one or the other. And that's the way that we see some of the land use policies being pushed at the state. Whereas what you'll hear economic developers say is we need affordable housing at every income level so that we can have the workforce we need to in order for the economy to thrive and businesses to thrive. So that only happens if we have the land as well to get these businesses, these employers here. That's a huge fight. And I'm calling it a fight because it feels that way in Sacramento where we're trying to, once again, remind folks of the value and importance of economic development. And sometimes that gets drowned out. And we understand the challenges with affordable housing in California and why it's an issue, but there needs to be a balance. And we don't necessarily hear that. So we're doing a lot of advocacy in that space. And part of that is creating a project development and finance division so that we can support not only providing technical assistance to communities that are putting together tax increment financing districts or looking at other ways of financing projects, but so that we can do advocacy on that in that space as well. That's a big chunk of work for us, and it's broader than what we've done in the past in terms of advocacy. Um, we will continue to expand our ACE certification, which we're excited about. We also have a program called Outsmart Disaster that trains businesses on business resiliency. And when I say we have it, we've been managing it on behalf of the state. Just recently, within the last month, the program was returned to the state and we're working in partnership with them to help reach small businesses and grow that so we can help businesses with resiliency. As we keep hearing these um, and seeing the indicators of potential recession, we know that means that economic developers are going to have to continue to step up their game. So many jurisdictions leaned in during the pan pandemic above and beyond where they would have normally invested in economic development to remind them that that trend's going to need to continue to support their businesses, to support their economy during the downturn is really important. I would say those are our biggest initiatives moving forward. The conference will be in Sacramento in early May, it looks like. We'll be announcing some of that information as well. But I would just say that there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity for jurisdictions in particular to move economic development forward and address potential recession, but also just thrive beyond where you are, grow beyond what's happening in your economy. So to the extent that we can either share resources or help jurisdictions and other economic developers, whether you're in the nonprofit space or private sector space to connect, we really want to do that because there's a great synergy in our state when our folks get together and share best practices, share challenges and share opportunities. So exciting time. Sounds like it. Sounds like it's going to be a very busy 2023 for you guys. You mentioned a couple of times during like the pandemic and its impact, which I think was a very obviously a jarring set of pul public policy choices and a health crisis all at the same time and any number of issues that uh, have had, uh, you know, certainly what I would call as negative consequences and impacts throughout the last several years. Um, one of the things that I try to find maybe a silver lining on, or at least understand, is that in those in a dynamic environment like that, uh, how does the economy react and respond and kind of adapt? Um, this was a, a lesson learned certainly 
uh, for me, as I manage my team through the pandemic, of our ability to adapt and change to meet the circumstances that are going on out there. Uh, and within within that worldview is just tied into the digital economy and access to high speed internet access and that yeah. economic impact. I would just be curious, have you had? Because this is a pet peeve for me, but you know, when you talk with your local jurisdiction agencies, you're talking with the practitioners that you're all training. Where do you guys identify high speed internet access, affordable high speed internet access? reliable high-speed internet access, competitive environment for high-speed internet access. How does that fit in from your take uh, as an economic development strategy for cities that they should be making investments in? And frankly, which the state of California seems to be backing up as well with a lot of grant money these days focused on that area. I think it's a priority. It has been a priority. I know when I started as an intern, um, originally, I'd also worked for the California State Rural Health Association, and telemedicine was huge even then, 20-something years ago, in the rural communities. And the challenge has always been getting commercial speed, reliable, affordable internet access to these places that get further away, and even in town. I mean, it could be that you're one block away from the hub and the cost of getting the fiber, whatever else out to you is thousands of dollars. And if the utility doesn't see other users, the ability to expand that to get you better service is is compromised unless you're willing to pay for it. So it's a huge priority. It has been for a long time. It was great to see it get the heightened visibility during the pandemic because it's an equalizer at this point, right? If you don't have access to commercial speed, affordable um, broadband or internet access, I mean, how can you keep up with your peers? How can your students keep up with their peers? So it is a challenge and we're glad to see the investments. Yeah, I'm glad to see the investments too, but I, I would also, I, I would say for me, it's just been a point of frustration as a, as a uh, self-identified nerd that, <laughs> We've had decades of effort focused on this and the progress hasn't been there, right? And I just like, I want to make sure that this next round, while there's a lot of enthusiasm on it, now this isn't your problem to solve a Cal-Ed or you personally, but it's just an observation, a calling to the world of anybody who hears this, which is please make sure we actually effectively deliver actual fiber in the ground and actual opportunities for home sites and neighborhoods to have, have this uh, connectivity option because it is just, I mean, I... At this point, it's the equivalent of having a sewer pipe and a water pipe run to your house. If you don't have a fiber pipe run there, it's. I have to ask the question, what the heck are you thinking? Like, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, unless you're purposely trying to live off the grid. I just don't know a lot of people that are in that space, but yes. Yeah, well, and they're not living in a suburban neighborhood in, uh, you know, outside Sacramento or Fresno, right? They're, yeah. they're, uh, they're in the mountains or they're up in... Um, you know they're up in the up in the Rockies or something like that. So, yeah. uh, all right. And then uh, any any kind of final um, observations or advice you'd like to offer to city managers, county administrative officers, local elected leaders about jumpstarting their economic development activity. What what should they be thinking about? How how should they go about that process? What are some of the best? Where can they get some better ideas to learn more about economic development activity? Well. Um, I would say one thing to keep in mind is, you know, the promise of economic development is that it's rooted in the hope of a better future. So it doesn't matter where you're jumping into it, whether you have an existing plan, whether it's doing well or not, what maybe you haven't invested in economic development or haven't had the ability to, and you're starting now. 
now's perfect time. It doesn't matter when you invest or when you start, but thinking about what you want in the future and being strategic and specific. And, and also, if it is true that you are just starting out, look at what's already been passed. Look at what other, other data is available to you. We do have quite a bit of resources, especially in our economic development resiliency and recovery playbook, where we talk about where you can find resources, where you can look at overlap if you're just starting out with strategic planning. The good thing is you're not in it alone. One, you have the ability to change your future at any point that you jump into economic development. But two, there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of communities that you can reach out to, whether you're talking to your peers. If you're not sure, you can reach out to us. You don't have to be a member of CalEd to call us and say, look, we're starting out or we're in the middle of our strategic plan. Do you have any ideas? But I would say act, you know, be specific, be strategic, look at what are, has already been done. But you always have a, a tremendous opportunity when you're looking at economic development to, to really dictate the future you want and create that future. You'd referenced a playbook, uh, which I'm obviously familiar with because of the opportunity of the work we get to do with you. But could you talk about that playbook real quick and, and who it's available for and where people can find it? Absolutely. So it's the Economic Development Resiliency and Recovery Playbook that was developed in partnership with the U.S. Department of Commerce Economic Development Administration. So during the pandemic, one of the things that we wanted to make sure that jurisdictions, cities and counties in particular, had was a really comprehensive roadmap for how to address economic resiliency and recovery, how to prepare for economic disruption. And so we wanted to make sure that was done from the perspective of practitioners who'd been in the weeds, but also the perspective of those agencies like FEMA, Cal OES, state and federal entities that provide assistance once a disaster has occurred or an economic disruption has occurred so that we could put together a guidebook that really took you through this is what you should be looking at. Here are the resources available to you. Here's a methodology for creating a stronger economy that can be resilient in the face of, of interruptions. So you can certainly access it on our website at caled.org. We also mailed a copy of it to all the city managers and all the CAOs in the state. And if you want a hard copy, you can reach out to us. We're happy to give you one as well. Thank you, Gerbax. I appreciate it. And that's today's report. My thanks to Gerbax for joining us. From the whole public CEO team and myself, writer Todd Smith, thank you for your time. We hope you learned something new and inspiring that will help you in your public service. Remember, Public CEO has a daily newsletter that is free to those who sign up at publicceo.com. If you have feedback, questions, or guest suggestions for Public CEO Report, please email editor at publicceo.com.